Welcome to Thinking Bros. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. We're your favorite corner store philosophers trying to figure out life one conundrum at a time. And today we have a special guest by the name of, well, do you want to use a code name considering your background? Yeah, yeah that might be interesting. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you're, you're free to choose it. If it, maybe, maybe we can give you a few moments for inspiration, but essentially he's our expert on drugs. And um, I think drugs have a very interesting implication for any philosophical discussion. I think they've been under-talked about in history because people didn't have access to, the, to what we have access now. So, you know, all your great philosophers, although some of them were known to be fanatics of drugs, didn't really use them. And uh, today, you know, modern answers would be very different from what we, we've received from philosophers. And uh, I think I think your experience in the drug world, uh, if, if we can call it that, should uh, should give us some insight. So, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us your code name? Um, sure. I still haven't come up with a code name. Um, I, I guess you can just uh, go with Phil. I guess that'll work. Um, All right. You you just choose a very common name, so you're unrecognizable. That's smart. That's very smart. Yeah, very smart. Um. So a bit of introduction, I've been uh, doing drugs for, <laughs> I guess, like eight years, something like that, since like 50, uh, six, six, uh, fifth grade of high school. Um, I had a slow start. Um, I, I used to be um, more of a huge nerd, as you, you would say, so not the most popular kid in high school. So like, uh, I wouldn't get invited to the parties and do all the drugs there as a... Uh, as the, the cool guy kids would do. So I had a bit of more of a slow start. Um, but when I did start, I started for real. And I did a lot. Um, especially when I was in, the, in CJEP. Uh, between high school and university. Um, that was one of the, the big moments for me. And yeah, I guess that's an introduction. I don't know if that was good. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it comes from the heart, it's good. That's what we say here. <laughs> it's, it's our most common quote. Yeah, we often say that. So, okay. That's awesome. So I think the common outlook on drugs, you know, there are two sides, the the kind of hippie side of the young people trying to explore life and the, the parent side of like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And I think both are a little bit too extreme. And I think that, you know, just discussing it philosophically could help us come to some conclusions. So that's kind of the, Alex, do you have anything to add about the common outlook? Because that's kind of one of the structure points of what we're trying to do. Mm, not much. I think the initial discussion made me think that, yeah, it's, it's now, you know, destigmatized. And since all the world is connected now, there can be communities of, of drug users that connect. And it's, it's more talked about than ever before and less uh, dramatized. And so I think this gives us space to, to have this discussion. Absolutely. By the way, Phil, did you know that one of our Sejep teachers, Rachel, I think she was a pothead and she had a, I think it, a Reddit page about reviewing pot strands. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> I did not know about that. That is great. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I discovered <laughs> it very late in having her in course office hours. hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I discovered it the hard way, <laughs> but I, I really, I really liked her before, and then after her, after that, I just doubled in liking. So I think the specific question we're trying to answer here is: Does do drugs have a place in one's life? Okay, and that's that's too broad. So I would like to, 
you know, concretize it, if that's a word, to... We're all French here. Yeah, we're all French, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> to something like, do drugs have a place in a happy life or perhaps a full life? And I mean, I guess, do they, are they instrumental in accomplishing the goal of your life? And also, you know, because the, I guess the, the easiest answer to what is the goal of life, I guess would be to be happy. And because we haven't had an, an episode on um, the goal of life, I guess we can take that as an intermediary response. So what's your first impression if I ask you, do drugs have a place in a happy life? Or I guess in accomplishing one's goal in life, I guess. Do you have any like quick summary answer? The, the, the thing that's weird for me with that would be like, um, what, what would be a life goal? How, how would you describe a life goal like that a, a drug would help you achieve? Well, um, I guess, well, again, if, if, if you take something as, you know, widespread as the belief that the goal of life is to be happy, right? Let's just, you know, let's right. just accept that for the purpose of this discussion. Or maybe if you have a better response, maybe we can base ourselves on that, right? Yeah, well, then if it's to be happy, then like you can use like uh, literature like Brave New World, right? Where I don't know if you, you guys read it, but in yeah. Brave New World, basically, um, like the population is divided into um, categories of like importance or like intelligence, basically. And the lowest categories are basically constantly fed uh, drugs. In the book, it's called Sama or something. So uh, and it, yeah, and basically it makes them happy and makes them complacent with life, and makes them accept their situation. And like with with that view perspective, I would definitely say like, well, yeah, if your your point your goal is to be happy and don't really care about all the rest, then yeah, I, I think drugs can definitely help you with that. But you're gonna be lacking with the rest, you know. Interesting. Okay, so we had an episode on happiness where we actually like laid out for people how to become happy, you know, surprisingly. I, I know it, it might surprise you to hear that, but let me summarize that for you, okay? What we proposed is that it's the sacrifice of dopamine spikes. I don't know if you're informed on like the dopamine system a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Alex read a book. I, I've been very interested in it. And we, we proposed that one big point we stressed was the difference between pleasure and happiness. Yeah, of course. Right. And we thought that happiness is achievable through the sacrifice of those, you know, pleasurable things. Well, extremely pleasurable, like demeasurably pleasurable. So, you know, you would take something like eating highly processed sugar, right? Like, oh, you have to sacrifice those times where you could get the dopamine spike from eating cake and instead eat healthy and you know a good meal is still something that can be said to be pleasurable but moderately so right and this is where you know we we would definitely disagree unless you want to you know yeah I, I think yeah. what what chris is sort of disagreeing with and what i would say too is that in that situation in brave new world those people are not happy and honestly it's been a while i don't remember the plot exactly but isn't that exactly what happens like the the story yeah is i, I someone, do believe at the end yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like someone is is really not happy with that situation and maybe they're like fine with life most of the time because they get numbed by their little vape thing and then eventually they realize that they're not happy right they're just complacent and and comfortable yeah the, maybe the 
it's more fake happiness that it creates and it wouldn't actually be happiness that could con- contribute to your your life goal mm-hmm. like a build like that yeah maybe that's more yeah and the fake happiness maybe it could be described as like a constant you know like a, a constant shooting up of pleasure just to use crude terms right and mm-hmm. the thing is like i mean obviously with happiness is the same thing right you have to upkeep that right like if you're lustful you have to you know keep uh, having you know meaningless relationships and if you want to achieve happiness well supposedly so unless you disagree with that you have to kind of keep up the the one relationship and commit to it and make sacrifices right like oh i can't choose this career it would mean going to another country blah 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 so okay let me, let me introduce you to the concept of the hedonic treadmill and the way we understand that is essentially the way your dopamine system works is that when you kind of use these big pleasure evoking things right the hedonic treadmill is essentially in you know subjecting yourself to certain pleasures you swipe up on the treadmill of the right. dopamine you, you bring system up the pace of your dopamine system and you yeah. get more happiness yeah and anything that well not happiness right that's that's kind of pleasure, the, point. Yes, the joy the joy and the the point of that is well you turn it up turn it up and the default setting of the treadmill just keeps going up and that becomes well you know like imagine pressing on the button to turn up the speed is taking the drug and then navigating the treadmill is your life so the problem with that is if you start using drugs the pace keeps going up and to augment your pleasure you have to turn up the treadmill right i mean that's uh tolerance right the development of tolerance and then Mm -hmm. obviously losing that dependence would be kind of the exhaustion that you get from having to run on a treadmill which was you know initially designed to potentially walk yeah well, when you on. when you don't have those drugs anymore the treadmill is still turned up and then you struggle to keep up with or you you you, you miss that high of of having the treadmill running fast and being that being fas- facil- facilitated by by drugs yeah and mm-hmm. you know obviously dependence is not a very philosophical topic <laughs> right like I, I guess it's it's not a very smart thing to say well uh, dependence will potentially ruin your life but we we kind of thought about this with Alex. Like, what if you stay under the threshold of dependence and masterfully arrange your drug intake to let's say you have Monday's cocaine, Tuesday's weed, right? And and you kind of stay off it, but you get these constant do- dopamine spikes, and you know a week in between isn't enough to develop a tolerance, and you kind of set up this. This perfect system Cycle, where, yeah. yeah, where you're resistant to the, yeah. uh, to dependence, right? But the problem with that, of course, would be, well, your dopamine requirements to even feel every like the very slight happiness are yeah. going so high that it's it's immeasurable. So I didn't ask any specific a, question, but yeah, again, like just tell me what you think. Yeah, they they kind of have a term for that for what you're describing, where you. You like set up the perfect setup where like uh, on Monday you're doing co- uh, cocaine and then the two weeks after you can redo it because you like your tolerance reset or whatever that's called uh, poly substance abuse and you can there, there's also a word for like the addiction to it which is called poly, uh, poly substance addiction and that's you've been on it for you, a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> me personally, is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, but I'm kidding. But yeah. I mean, I had a few years of it, yes, but um, I'm relatively cleaner now. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm uh, actually I'm yeah, glad so. to hear just a personal statement. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no. So, um, y- like using different substances to sub out and like never reach a certain tolerance is a thing. But what also happens is that a lot of substances have interdependencies. So like, um, cocaine and like for example MDMA or whatever. Um, they're they're not like they're both kind of stimulant. Um, so at one point your brain gets used to uh, that stimulant rush, and it'll be the same where like you start developing a tolerance to it, even if you're not like switching, uh, even if you are switching between uh, one substance and another. Like if they still have similarities, you can still develop some tolerances to it. So it's not a uh, foolproof system either. Okay, I thought I thought of it more of a as a thought experiment, but it's an actual thing, and also doesn't yeah. work. So that's great. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe we can categorize drugs and talk about you know the validity of their use. And yeah, sure. I, I would like to kind of you know one would think we could categorize it for you know through psychedelics, painkillers, uh, stimulants, but. I think a much more like maybe psychological or human or perhaps philosophical approach would be to categorize them in the categories of why people use them, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe you guys have other ideas of categories to discuss, but I have come up with psychological pain, physical pain, or recreational use just to increase, I don't know, I guess life fun, right? Uh, do you guys, can, can you guys think of any others? As to like reasons why to like as a category as a reason why to use a drug. Yeah, yeah. Why why you would start or why why would you keep it up? I think your recreation category is pretty big and encapsulates a lot um, because I feel like there's different types of recreation, right? You can like have a recreation where it's um, a party where you want to go fast, where you want to um, enjoy yourself and talk to people and be social. Or just like situations where you just want to chill at home by yourself, and that—that's like a very different category to me, at least. Um, okay, maybe we can start with the first two and kind of, you know, make the proper adjustments with recreational use in time. Okay, and what would those first two be? Yeah, uh, so psychological pain and physical mm-hmm. pain. So, I mean, you know, it's not a revolutionary thought, but obviously. For, for psychological pain, what would what would people take? Kind of. Uh, do you have mm-hmm. an alcohol? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah alcohol, uh, any benzodiazepines, so like Xanax and things like that. That's like the top one anxiety slash numbing drug. Um, yeah. If you don't want to feel anything and so not feel any of that psychological pain, it's one of the best ways to do it. Right. Okay. Uh, and obviously. We- yeah, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, we can also help you cope with a lot of those things. Um, like, psychologically, uh, it can be a big crutch. I guess that's where I'm going with this, is, you know, it's a downstream approach, right? You, I'm, I'm going to explain the, the example, like someone's, I don't know, dropping logs of wood from a, from like, on a, on a stream, and the people... And the village at the bottom of the stream is getting a problem where the water's not getting to them, and they're just se- sending people to take the logs out instead of stopping the people dumping the logs in it. Right, so that's 
you know, I mean, obviously drugs are a downstream approach to that. And the problem with that is, well, one, when you don't have them, you're, you're in trouble because not only is the psychological pain going to be back, but also isn't it going to be worse, right? It, yeah. Yeah, yes, because of the exactly. yeah, yeah the things. Maybe maybe you know the mechanism. Well, it, well, you, depending on what you're using to cope with psychological issues, um, just most of the time when you develop a dependence because you're using something uh, often to, to cope with your your issues, um, well, you're gonna start setting up a de tolerance slash dependence, and then once you you lose access to that substance, well, you're gonna go into withdrawals, right? Um, pretty much every drug has withdrawals. Uh, weed also has with withdrawals, right? Um, where if you, you've been taking weed for like months or years or whatever, and then you stop cold turkey, well, you're gonna have some issues. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to eat, you're not gonna be able to sleep. Like there's those are a few common things that happen to people with withdrawals. So um, yes, you're gonna ha your issues will be worse because on top of your issues coming back, right? Because you don't have your coping mechanism anymore, or you're gonna have the withdrawals. So um it's always going to be worse for sure when you when you you get out of it yeah okay and again it's, it's not a revolutionary revolutionary thought you know using drugs to cope is not a healthy approach to it but of course we understand the 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 implications of that and it's not only you know a mo momentary fix but it's like it's like putting a band-aid on that increases the friction and then makes the wound bigger right and then you have to deal with something that's even worse than it was initially. And of course, with physical pain, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar. Obviously, the core thing has to be addressed. And I think that's, that's what it comes down to. When you, when you try to fix a pro problem with drugs, I think you have to think about, is it fixing the cause, right? And I know, I know this is an epidemic, right? Um, Painkiller abuse. But the thing is, the problem with that is that it starts in a reasonable way where you are dealing with pain that you're not supposed to be dealing with and there's no healthy way to cope with it right like post-operation right there, there aren't any healthy ways to cope with it like a, a psychologist is going to suggest to you so you are treating something that is kind of directly related to something that isn't supposed to happen to you and there's no healthy way to cope for it so then people start off that and then they discover what the painkillers can do to them way after the operation when the pain is gone, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I guess <clears throat> what what you would say about both types of pain is that the use may be justified or useful in the moment when pain is unbearable, and that's the only thing that makes it better. But it either has to be done like extremely carefully. Or you need to like consider the potential downstream consequences of addiction, and then decide to just suffer through the pain, something like that. Yeah, and I think in your decision-making process, the the short-sighted view of you know taking something that well, you know, psychological pain, I, I guess, could be categorized as uh, as something that enters in that realm too, where some people have disorders that are so extreme and not due to something that they are in control of that it warrants the use of drugs and you know be cognitive behavioral therapy can only do so much so 
I, I think, well, if you if we were to kind of tra transition it to a more philosophical way of viewing it, the recommendation would be the short-sighted way to see the first pill you take is like, okay, I have an uncontrollable situation, right? Be it physical or mental. And I'm going to, you know, use the only way out of this situation by taking it. And I'm going to fix that situation. Well, what people fail to see is, first of all, the baseline of whatever you think your normal pain levels were is going to change because of the drugs, right? Like, I mean, okay, I don't want to overstep my grounds in my knowledge of drugs, but I, I know painkillers have some... Uh, what, what is it, what's the thing with uh, stool, the, the congestion, the stool congestion? What, what is it? <laughs> uh constipation is that what you're yeah, saying yeah yeah thanks thanks man yeah yeah, yeah I, I i lose words so the constipation <laughs> thing but isn't <laughs> yeah no op op no opioids do do cause constipation right right okay so essentially what you have to see if if you want to you know look long term and in some situation where drug use is you know in quotes warranted and in evaluating the downsides of it it shouldn't only be, well, okay, I'm going to be on drugs for this duration and it's going to help with this. It's larger than that. It's everything that will come after that that should go in your calculation of making that choice. I feel like I'm not saying much. But well, usually when when you're when you're like getting well when you're doing med it medically, right? Where you're getting prescribed like opioids or something, mm -hmm. um, like the, the doctors are not dumb, right? They they're aware of the um, addiction risks. And um, they will taper off your your dose, right? So um, you'll maybe have a one month prescription, but then they'll add maybe a week or two to that, where you'll have received lower doses gradually, and just to help you transition off of it, right? Um, so it's not always you gotta stop cold turkey and then you gotta deal with the uh, with the withdrawals, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, but. You know, so, you said like doctors aren't dumb, but they were dumb because most that's of the how time, it. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's how it started, right? That's how the so-called yes. epidemic started. Well, it, it, the reason why it, it started mostly is because the the doctors were getting pushed, uh, the, like oxycodones and whatever, mm -hmm. uh, from the the company producing it. There was a lot of like misinformation that was going on from the company th uh, making it that they were saying that the drug was not addictive, that they were free to prescribe it as much as they want because it was not supposed to be addictive. That was the whole sell, that was the whole pitch at the start um, for Oxys, was that they were not addictive. Um, but boy, were they wrong. Yeah, to be fair, we went through a period of that with cigarettes, and so that's, I mean, just historical. You can say we as if we were alive in the 90s. No, but back in the 80s, don't you remember? Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Okay, so... <laughs> On Wall Street. Yeah. Oh, are, are you about to move to the next category? If you want me to. Because I was... If you were moving to the next category, I was curious where we would place coffee because I don't feel like it's recreational use per se. I think people use it for like a, a, to serve a purpose, right? It's not just for fun, but it's not necessarily, it's not physical pain unless you're already addicted and then you're in pain when you don't drink coffee, but maybe it's psychological pain. Would you create a Wouldn't new category that be for performance enhancing? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting category. Yeah, that's an interesting category. Because the whole reason why you drink coffee in the mornings to wake you up, well, usually it's because you've been drinking coffee for the last six years and 
Um, well, now you can't wake up without it because you mm-hmm. have dependence. Um, but yeah, it's for performance enhancement, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I'd actually create the fourth category where it is uh, performance enhancement, but that's okay. That's that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, but I'd like to mention uh, uh, one last thing for uh, psychological pain. There, there's a lot, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a lot of uh, new research going on where uh, they're using things like ecstasy, ketamine, or acid, uh, maybe not acid, I think it's more shrooms, but to, to help people deal with like uh, psychological issues like depression and whatever. Um, there's a few clinics doing this, I think, in the US, and I believe they're starting to do it in Canada as well. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I just wanted to mention that as well as like, um, yes, drug usage is bad and can lead to some mental issues, but it can also help fix those mental issues. Obviously, these clinics are not doing this like as every day you're going to take this uh, and whatever. No, it's like a session that happens maybe once a month, once every two months where they, they consume the drug and talk with a psychologist or whatever, and they, they go through their issues and it, it, it can help people. So uh, I just wanted to get, mention that as well as it's not all bad. It can also be helpful. I think that's very interesting. It might sway my opinion on psychological and physical pain use drugs. You know, before I definitely say it's it's a no no completely. Then you know you have someone who let's say breaks their leg and they have no choice but to take painkillers during the rehab. I I don't see a situation where you refuse that because it will be hard, but you have to be aware of why it's hard. But then you say. A big question I was going to ask is, can drug use be non-pathological and genuinely supplement our life? Well, the thing with what you said, it seems it seems very reasonable, but I'm also a big believer in kind of, you know, mother nature, right? The way we evolved. <laughs> no, no, I am. And the way we evolved is without, in the sense that, you know, our biology evolved without kind of being exposed to these drugs. So there wasn't the the filtration system of uh what is it? What's the thing with Darwin? Evo, uh, natural selection. Yeah, yeah, there there wasn't the selection process of natural selection, right? Like if if you include every drug we have access to right now, right? Put it thousands of years ago, the people who live today are people who have adapted biologies for those drugs, right? That isn't the case. Let's say a lot of what we have is is quite modern, wouldn't you say? At least like in the concentrations that we have it. I know opium, right? Like it has history, perhaps some hallucinogenics, but some drugs with a bigger effect, right? Those pill formats where you just take it and you don't feel pain for eight hours. That's that's not a thing that biology has evolved with. And therefore, I doubt the validity of well, I don't doubt the the effectiveness of its methods, but I doubt the validity of it in supplementing our lives in the long term, in the sense that it kind of, I wouldn't say goes against our biology, but risks going against our biology. What do you think of that argument? I'd agree with it, but I don't know. I'm still not, I'm still not sold on it being bad. I mean, it's obviously bad long term, right? But I feel like maybe this is just me coping, right? <laughs> I feel like there, there there could be a mechanism where it, it would be valid uh, to like have alongside uh, during your life and not like mess up your your goals or values or uh, that that stuff. You know, I don't know. 
Uh, that's yeah, maybe maybe we can you know let it come out during the episode, but it's mm -hmm. just, it just I I really see it as a band aid solution, and I I wish to be swayed because you know one the one one I like I like coffee, and if I philosophically conclude that drugs don't have a place in my life, I should stop coffee. So I you know I I live by what I determine, and then also the studies that you proposed to me in seeing a certain value, a therapeutic value in in shrooms and psychedelics. That's interesting that's interesting to consider mm -hmm. it's just for me often when you see something like a fix for psychological pain a fix for physical pain well i'd give an example for psychological pain it's let's say someone has had a very rough upbringing and you know their childhood haunts them and they decide to get into pills and those numb the psychological pain well unless you want to spend the 80 next years on pills Guess what's not changing? Your your childhood, right? And what's guess what's getting worse when you're getting off those pills? Your pain. Okay. So yeah. it's it's so there's no there's no justifying that one. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's it's also I gave a narrow example. Like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. I can give any example and make you agree with me, but it doesn't, you know, cover the whole point. That's fine. But you look at physical pain, and as I said, like post op, I think it's justifiable. But you look at something like chronic pain. And I, in one of my classes, I had a person with, who, who dealt with chronic pain come and give a lecture to us. And he said that, you know, he hopped between eight different painkillers. They work for a while, then they don't. The, they make some other factors of life unbearable, right? Because quality of life is something to, to consider as well. And I know, like, you can numb yourself all you want with painkillers, but some of those reduce the quality of life so much that it's just unjustifiable. And he, he told us this whole tale. And I think, you know, in the chronic pain world, that's something that's agreed upon. Even the things that are supposed to work long term, I mean, either you develop a tolerance to them, even if you cycle them, right? And mm -hmm. he said that finding, well, first of all, he went through cognitive behavior therapy. I think he started doing physical exercise, something like that. He find, found a like holistic approach to it that, I, unfortunately, I don't remember the exact issue he had. And I also don't remember the exact fix. But I know that the conclusion from him was he found this, this lifestyle that was certainly sustainable until the end of his life that completely fixed his chronic pain, right? I think lower back pain is one of the most widespread chronic pains. That could be due to, I don't know, excessive sitting, whatever. And I think that, yeah, it's short-sighted to think that drugs have mm -hmm. a, not, not a, I mean, not a value in that. Like, yeah, you take the pill, pain goes away. I can't deny that. Long-term value, right? Of course, long-term value. It's, mm -hmm. it's just so, and, and that's why, you know, from a philosophical perspective, you're looking at, you know, uh, it's, it's quite a morbid view, but, you know, you're at a, your hundredth year and you look back at your life and you're like, should I have taken those or not? Is my question kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so no, I, I get your point of view. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry that it's not more like open ended, <laughs> but that's often how I speak. <laughs> and that's why Alex has said two words in the episode. <laughs> so, you know what? Let's, I, I think it's a bigger category, recreational use. So maybe let's move on to performance enhancing. Also, quite a philosophical debate, right? I think the way I would frame it is you're willing to do things for your body well let's actually obviously the biggest the most extreme case of that is doping in athletes right and it's 
the reason people consider it unethical is because you're ready to do something for your body that might, you know, make your life after its use more difficult, make your life shorter, that some other people aren't ready to do. And that's where the unethical part comes from. Of course, the effects of, well, the negative effects of coffee are so minimal that no one would argue that for, for coffee, but... Do you have an, uh, an outlook on the ethics of doping in athletes? Is that something you prepared in your mind? Or? No, I did not prepare that. But I, I was going to say, uh, for, for another like, performance-enhancing uh, example, um, I, I don't know if we, we accept it, but I'd say like alcohol can also be seen as a performance enhancer. Um, in driving, uh, right? Yeah, in driving. <laughs> Uh, operating any motorized vehicles, yeah. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> OSHA. Um, what I meant was like for for like social situations. That for a lot of people, alcohol will remove social blocks, right? Where it will make them way more sociable, way more open to talking to new people, meeting, meeting new people, and being interesting in conversations, right? It'll be a big pusher for that. So I don't know if I'd put that in recreation, but I feel like it has its place in performance enhancement, where it's like you're making yourself better at something by using the substance. And the same could be said for like um, any stimulants, right? Um, like cocaine or amphetamines or methamphetamine. That at that point, like to, to go go faster or to, to socialize faster, to talk faster. Like those are great drugs to like talk someone to talk to someone for ages and never stop, right? Never let them put a word. And those are like uh, good good drugs to do that. So like, I I don't know if we we could put that in performance enhancing. Um, yeah, say, I think that's a good point. And point I think that. that that makes me think that that whole category has, you know, the, the similar counter arguments like for athletes, the counter argument is the side effects for alcohol. It could be the same thing, right? It's like the, the hangover after the long term effects on your liver and everything mm -hmm. the the side effects are really what should make you make you think about it twice. And um, for, for coffee, it's the addiction part of never being able to stop. I think, yeah, it, it is not that bad because there are, what, no side effects? If you never stop, you never stop and you're fine, right? Maybe you need to increase your coffee dosage from time to time because it doesn't hit the same, but the... Co coffee still does have some long-lasting effects. I just want to put that, that mm -hmm. in there. It, it's a, like like any other stimulants, it makes the, the heart beat faster. So um, it, it does have some potential for heart issues in the long run. I uh, just wanted to put that there. Yeah, yeah. It's just more tolerable, right? That's how yeah. why it's accepted yeah. in a way, right? And you're going to see the effects in 60 years, whereas all the other stimulants, you're going to see them in five years or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so, like um, yeah. a, a lot of people, like, um, I mean, like vaping is bad, right? But uh, like, it, but it's better than cigarettes. That That is for sure. Health Canada says it. Um, <laughs> so, um, my main point here is that... Sorry, the way you said it, it sounds so sarcastic. <laughs> why, why was that? I don't know, like, oh, uh, well, you know, it's better than cigarettes. Sure. It's for sure. Health Canada said it. <laughs> no, because I, I used to work at a vape shop, and we weren't allowed to say um, that, that vapes were actually better than cigarettes. Um, we were just allowed to quote, like, uh, a study that uh, Health Canada did, so that's why I said like that. It's out of habit. Um, but what I wanted to get to is like nicotine is very similar to caffeine, 
where they are both stimulants and um like one person will will drink a coffee at the start of the morning another person will vape for the rest of it for, for the whole day right so uh, they have similar effects in the long run um at least from what i've seen online doing my research wow okay yeah that's insightful but it's those more you know societally accepted drugs because of a lesser because they accomplish to a lesser extent what the others do but also i hope that the conclusions we make about the more extreme ones are transferable and perhaps just take more willpower to implement right no one would start their day well jordan belford would obviously count counter example but no one would start their day with cocaine but you started with coffee and then the fix for starting your day with cocaine is like is very clear well well you know fight your dependence then get a good night's sleep perhaps in in a year you're gonna have a good energy level well coffee is a band-aid fix in that sense too right it's just we have the resources and it's of a lesser gravity enough so you can get on it and never get off of it but ultimately if it had worse effects right the arguments people would use against it would be like okay well you don't have good energy levels why is that is your sleep dysregulated? Do you not exercise enough? Blah, blah, blah. People would ask, ask all these questions. And obviously, you know, let me, let me get back to my favorite goddess, Mother Nature. We didn't evolve with coffee. So the people whose survival led to us existing didn't drink coffee. So why are we? Do I have an answer to that? I don't know. Okay, let me, let me ask you a personal question. Okay, Because I know my answer. I think Alex knows his. If you imagine the perfect you, right? The, the, the peak of what you could be, and you imagine the typical day in the life, it, would drugs have a place in it? Um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, and it's, it's hard to answer because like uh, the ideal you, like how do you even structure that, right? Um, I, I compartmentalize realistically, like, oh, what does my relationship look like? What, my, what does my career look like? What does my financial status look like? I, I've given it a sense of thought, obviously making you come up with it on the spot is kind of hard, but maybe you can yeah. approximate your answer. Well, well, the, I think I have a slightly different image of what Chris means than Chris does. Because, you know, I can imagine the perfect me, but going as far as to saying that the perfect me has a perfect day that will happen every day and that's the structure of every day and that's it <clears throat> is going too far for me because the perfect me would you know have a different day every day maybe try out new experiences try out new stuff and then, then i think that's just part of what you wish to be as a person and that's fine if one day you go bowling and the other you go golfing and that's still a perfect day for you i'm not saying it's the same day what i'm saying is in an achievable manner, right? I'm not saying, oh, you should be six five. Like, okay, you're you're your height, and that's fine. In an achievable six, manner, six. okay, you're six. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really want to drop down to six five. But I always walk barefoot. For no, that my point is, you're saying, does your perfect day involve drugs? And like, maybe the answer is one out of thirty days of my perfect life involves drugs, and that's a, well, a that's valid answer you would accept. That's interesting because we can come back to the thing I set up at the beginning what are we trying to answer right mm -hmm. does do drugs have a place in a happy life right that's our intermediary big question well is i guess the answer then would be 
does trying every experience available available to humans in, like have a place in the perfect life yeah being like being curious and exploring i think definitely has a place in, in like maybe not for you I, I know you know you have a different personality you're a bit of a psychopath etc okay i'm gonna cut that out because i have that power but <laughs> the the thing with that is to me if okay let's say let's say we determine right end of the episode our our conclusion is human experience is very varied and you should try you should try everything once well my thing with trying everything once is it's part of a self-discovery in establishing the perfect you, right? You have to travel eight countries before determining that maybe the first one you were in is the perfect one. Maybe the, the third one you were in is the perfect one. I think at a certain point, you have to limit yourself in that, right? You're not going to explore all the 263 countries that exist. Look, does, does what I'm... Look, I, I thought of this while you were speaking. Let's say I've tried sports, right? I like soccer and volleyball i want to play those sports regularly and that's part of my perfect day but then i also like badminton and i want to play badminton twice a year that's part of my perfect life too isn't that fine i guess i i see commitment in a more restrictive manner i think you're going to get more out of as we've determined on our episode on happiness more out of long-term investment right you find soccer cool now but if you hadn't done it ever in your life, would it be as cool? Probably not, because you would be very bad at it, right? So discovery is good, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I have more fun in, at things I'm good at. But the thing is, after a while, you have to calm down with trying new experiences and say to yourself, this is good enough, right? I mean, the country you're going to choose to live in for your life, are you going to have visited every single country? Is there yeah. a value yeah. in Yeah? No, no, no. Okay, okay. So what I'm trying to say is, at a certain point, you cap it. And, well, okay, my larger point is the following. I'm speaking a lot, unfortunately, but self-discovery is important, but it's only important for the purpose of setting up the long-term things that will lead to your happiness. And the thing about drugs is, well, we've determined long-term use isn't warranted. So now, why would you try them out? Simply for the purpose of knowing how it feels? I mean, if I try out something that feels extremely enjoyable and spikes my dopamine... The only thing that it's going to do is it's going to make me desire it more. Yeah, yeah, but my metaphor is having already tried out, let's say, like soccer, volleyball, and badminton are drugs. I've tried, or no, well, then actually that doesn't work. But let's say badminton is a drug, and I like badminton, and I want to play it twice a year. I've explored that drug, and I want to do it twice a year, and that's that doesn't make me addicted to it. And that, you know, I, I guess we haven't discussed re recreational use, which we're talking about sort of now. Okay, but do you understand how, because we, well, I'm trying to paint it as a, a kind of a vice, the, <laughs> you could, no, but you mm -hmm. could take any dopamine-inducing thing and say, well, why wouldn't I do it twice a year? Well, okay, balance is important, but the thing is, you're restricting, I'm hoping you're restricting in, in your example, your drug use of volleyball, or whatever it was, badminton, to twice a year and then you're not doing any other dopamine inducing activity at any other day in the year okay that way you're okay you're, well, i think the metaphor doesn't work but right yeah. because that's the thing we're trying to no, no i just think it like all aspects of my badminton thing don't apply i'm not saying it's a bad example what were you saying yeah yeah well, what i'm trying to say is just if the conclusion we have about drugs has to be the same conclusion we have about you know 
eating cake. Well, okay. Uh, we can't dopamine. generalize on all, all drugs and sugar is a drug too, you know. Oh, true. Yeah, sugar sure, sure is not a drug. No. Oh. The sugar is not a drug. <laughs> okay, expert um, opinion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I, I can Google it just to make sure, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure sugar is not a drug. Uh, do, do you uh, have like criteria to... I mean, I, I, um, I, I would agree I with you, I guess. I just said that because I... It's addictive and it can be, yeah. But mm -hmm. like gambling can be addictive, gaming, yeah. Uh, yeah. video games can be addictive, right? So it, it doesn't need to be a drug to be addictive, but mm -hmm. um, I, I believe it's not supposed to be a drug, okay. Um, but uh, the, the the what they use to determine what is drug and what is not a drug, I am not sure on anymore, but um, yeah, okay. Have, have you uh, come up with a, an answer to the perfect day thing? If you like the example uh, at all, the thing is, like as uh, as your brother was saying, as Alex was saying, um, like a perfect, not every day would be perfect in a perfect life, right? Um, like I, I'd hope that in my perfect life, I'd still be able to go out and party on some ecstasy, uh, one uh, like once per three months or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, which is like the the accepted uh, cycle for like uh, redoing uh, ecstasy MDMA and whatever. For your serotonin to reset, uh, it's three months. That's the, the the standard. So, like in my perfect life, I, I'd assume I'd still be able to go out and party like that, or like have a massive trip once a year, uh, with some friends and like a in like a remote place, chilling. Right. Um, I'd hope I'd still be able to do that for sure because those are fun experiences, uh, although recreational. Like they're they're awesome experiences. They're they're a fun time to have. And the, at least in my opinion, they don't have that much of a of an like uh, of an, a side effect, right? Uh, especially if you you space them out like that. I mean, if you're doing ecstasy slash MDMA multiple times per week for a full month, um, you're gonna have issues. You're gonna have long lasting issues with your your serotonin. But if you space it out properly, there there's ways to to do it where it's not gonna lead to uh, long lasting issues. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that kind of comes back to the therapeutic use as well, where, you know, monthly shroom use to put you in an, an alternate state and make you discover things that you wouldn't have otherwise, correct? Yeah. It's a good yeah. parallel. Okay. I, you know, in my vision, I guess, I, I again, I, no, no offense to, let's say, the friends you suggested hanging out with, but let's say like this. Let's say the perfect life contains literally the five okay I guess, I guess that's like a philosophical ideal and it's unattainable but let's say your friends are a group of the 10 most interesting people on earth right and then every party that you have is the best party on earth or, or at least the best that you can ever set up right all of the i don't know somebody you guys invest in the lighting every food is the best snack you have whatever whatever okay just imagine that uh -huh. what, I, what i'd like to say is that like, if if we had access to the, the most fulfillment, the most fulfilling versions of what organic life has access to, I guess organic, I don't mean like CO, like carbon things. I just mean like organically attainable. <laughs> my bad for the use. But I my intuition is that you would not need the dopamine spike or the uh -huh. alternate... Right, yeah, yeah. You know, uh -huh. it's like, oh, I am fully fulfilled, but the 100 out of 100 fulfillment level 
is enough to offset the need for this little dopamine mm-hmm. spike. So, you know, again, you can disagree with my whole point, but if, if you say, okay, I, I'm using drugs to, let's say, offset the imperfections of what my fulfillment could amount to, okay, right? And obviously, as a philosophical podcast, our goal setting would be, okay, well, how about you make a very conscious effort to offset those fulfillment issues through through a direct effort to do so and not kind of supplement it with something that is a replacement? My, my problem with that is that it's not... What if, what if, well, you, you can tell us, Phil, what your experience does for you, but what if it's not, you know, augmenting the experience you have with your friends? What if you also hang out with those friends outside of that and you have, you discuss, you know, your studies and your work and relationships and you have fulfilling things that don't involve drugs also, but that's just a different experience that you also want to have. It's not necessarily a better one. You know, it's more pleasure in the moment. Maybe it's less fulfilling. You don't accomplish as much. You just talk and have fun, but it's just a different one, but that you also want to have. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'd say to add to that would be, um, well, I don't know if it's really adding. I don't know if it's uh, contributing anything, but um, when my issue with your example, Chris, is that like you're making a new baseline, right? Where like um, you're constantly fulfilled and that's the new baseline. And the way I view drugs is that, that drugs will bring you over that baseline. Um, and they, they will give, give you greater pleasure than you were already having. It will, as we were saying earlier, enhance the experience. Even though if you don't need it, right? You're, you're fully fulfilled. The reality of it is, as a human, you're always looking for more. Uh, you're just at a new baseline now. You're just at a new level. But you're still, like, going over that level is still going to feel good. And it's still going to give you pleasure. Um, and happiness, right? Well, maybe it's fake happiness, but it, it's still going to give you that pleasure. So even if you're fully fulfilled, you can still take it a step higher, I believe, uh, with substances. And it, like, yeah, I guess that would be my point. I think the thing that it would take for me to budge is ascertaining two things. One, that taking something once could potentially, well, actually, in 100% of the cases, does not directly lead to a dependence, right? And I understand that, you know, chemically, of course, that's not how a dependence is developed, but I know people that have addictive personalities. So you take someone like you, right, with willpower and saying, well, okay, ecstasy cycled every three months is a, a, you know, a good investment in my, my overall fun, and that's something that is attainable for me. But, you know, you take a person who you is on the other side of the spectrum of willpower and you give you show them a reality that is much more fun i mean synthetically so but so Mm -hmm. so much more fun and then you're like well here are two realities i've offered you something extremely more fun and something like this you're not chemically dependent but your mind is going to be on like wait reality could be that and then you that's Mm -hmm. all you're going to think of correct i mean do you think there's a kind of prior assurance, a certain security in your in your control of your impulses that it takes before starting your first one, right? If everyone to, were to adhere to your uh, regimen, wouldn't it take some questions answered way, way before you try even your first attempt at it? Uh, like, what do you mean by question answers? 
question I, I guess i guess you know you take something lesser maybe relationships right you you look at someone you enjoy hanging out with and you look at like oh can i control my impulses and wanting to hang out with that person or am i addicted to that person what i'm saying is like i think there's a threshold of having an addictive personality where it's just unreasonable to use it to supplement because all your reality will be directed towards is yeah no is, oh, I, I this could be I, that my life could be that my bad for interrupting but my life could be this right i get what you're saying with, with like xdsc they call it super mondays right um so like you go out the weekend you do mdma the whole weekend and get back on monday and you want to kill yourself because you're you're fully out of serotonin and it's not a good time um that is definitely the thing um if we go back to my baseline example earlier like once you take the drug, you go way over baseline, and once you're done with it, you go way under baseline, and then it takes a while to naturally go back to that baseline you were at before taking uh, that substance. Um, so, I mean, yes, there's probably questions to be answered before, where, like, can you handle that, that, that dip in the baseline and then be able to, to go through it and then go get back to your normal level? Or will you not be able to handle it and will redose constantly to... Uh, synthetically get back to that level but just for a while because once you're done once you're out you're going to be back under it and that's not going to be a good time i don't know if that answers but yeah i guess you you, you bring it to the point where um yeah it, it for some people it definitely does not make sense okay so you know there are three perspectives let's say we go back to mdma right you have the before you use it where you're like okay first i will experience the spike and then the dip so obviously this decision is the more immediate answer would appeal you to. So you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to take it. Then there's after. And I mean, anyone who's known a hangover can, you know, imagine to a lesser extent what it feels like. And in that moment, I mean, I think your intuition is like, why did I do it? Right. And my question is from a retrospective perspective. Wow. <laughs> that sounds good. What? Your your answer seems to be, you know, taking into account the before and the after. If you were put it were to put it on a scale, you would say that the pleasure you received before is worth the mm -hmm. the yeah, yeah, the drawbacks, right? At least that's something who fully thought it out would say, right? That's a some someone who has the willpower and then decides to still see the scale from afar, see that it provides more joy than it takes out and do it but i think some people remain in the right before the drug usage thing where their perspective is limited and they're like out of a lack of willpower they know the immediate thing will be to do the drug so it seems to to me that you have this you know kind of a uh, third person perspective on it and you your choice is constant i just don't think that applies to many people unfortunately that's why mm -hmm. if, if, if coming to a more universal conclusion, I, I'm leaning towards the no on the, the use of drugs, but it's interesting. So what, what do you think, Alex? Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think, you know, we want to have a figured it out rating at the end and, and know, have an answer as much as possible. But I don't think we should be trying to be universal either. I think since people vary so much, you know the the level of addictive personality level varies the the tolerance to certain drug varies how how those drugs affect people varies also right and 
maybe it's just a different answer for every different person. And maybe the discussion can just be like a discussion of, of different perspectives. And that's good too. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just being the devil's advocate and drugs are just bad. Yeah. But the, the beauty <laughs> of the devil's advocate is that if we love the devil's advocate. Yeah. We love it because if we're not convincing enough to sway people against it, even if your answer is not technically right, well, we're just the incompetence in the conversation, <laughs> correct? I mean, that's, it's logical to me. So, so, okay, I, I guess let's, let's reframe the question. And I, I read a blog, a psychological blog where people said, do you think that drug use is always a form of escapism? And my, my thought experiment on that would be, let's say a genie, every time they, you eat a meal, maybe it has some transferability with a uh, weed. Every time you eat a meal, a genie behind you appears and asks you, do you want to have that meal? But like the exact same thing, but it's better, like two points on the scale better, right? Like, let's say you were going to eat a seven out of 10 pizza. He always proposes you a, a nine out of 10 pizza. And I don't see a world where the answer is no, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is I, I feel like certain drugs are could be seen that way. And if I were to ask you, if I'm giving you two realities, right? One where it's normal life and one where you're on MDMA 24 seven, that's how you experience reality. Could you like comfortably answer that you could choose one reality over the other? Uh, the, the hard thing is uh, a trip of MDMA uh, uh, or a roll as it's m more uh, commonly called, um, it, there's a few like phases to it, right? Where you, the before you hit the peak, you'll have to come up where it's a bit of anxiety, where you're, you're feeling jittery, and then at the peak where it's full of ecstasy and you're super happy, you're dancing, whatever, you're partying, and then after that you get the come down where it's like um, things start mellowing out and you uh, like you start getting tired and you kind of want to get home and get done with it, right? You're you're kind of over it. Um, so it depends on like the 24 hours MDMA typically lasts like four, maybe six, eight hours, depending on how long you're, 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 uh, uh, you're counting the, the count, uh, the, the come down. So like, it, it depends on what phase I am for that 24 hours, because I don't see a really realistic MDMA trip that lasts 24 hours, except if you're redosing constantly. And at that point it gets very, um, fiendish where like at the end of it, uh, or like in reality, at the end of the 24 hours of constantly doing an MDMA, you're going to start feeling kind of uh, done, uh, spent, right? Where like you don't have anything left in you and you're, all that's keeping you going is the substance. So it depends like how you kind of frame that reality, right? Right. I guess if we take something more constant and mellow like weed, could, could, yeah. could, okay. could you answer like, I know people like Joe Rogan, Wiz, Wiz Khalifa, those are people that are actually 24 7 and are they, they are part of my thought experiment and they're actually doing it and they choose the reality to be on weed well well i'm not sure if they're are they 24 7 i know all the i, I time think Wiz khalifa is like <laughs> okay. I, I don't see a single post where he isn't Again. i mean i i've i've lived like that a bit or like yeah. you know uh, you wake up in the morning it's awake and bake and then for the rest of the day you're just you're, you're smoking and uh doing your sh so like um, yeah, uh, at least like with, that, weed, it's, with weed, it's like realistic. Like you can actually sustain it yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, 
um it, it's totally doable and like um i personally would probably choose the the, the weed reality right i mean if it's if i'm supposed in, in if it, in this fictional reality i'm supposed to be working and doing anything productive i would probably not choose the weed um because right. well you're not that productive you're not that uh efficient but um, yeah yeah okay if but... we're just talking recreation it would definitely be yeah, I think I had a larger point with that, but I think if if you can tell me that you would choose one reality over the other, well, then it's it must be better. And the problem with that is just always getting these. You know, if if we were to apply this conclusion to all the other drugs, always getting a glimpse of what could be and not being able to constantly sustain it because of the realities of life, right? Which are to be productive and blah blah blah. I I think it's kind of I don't know I, I see it as harmful to our to our vision of life because constantly getting glimpses of what could be and uh, if you saw it as switching a a switch not not just enhancing but abs absolutely like going to the another reality and you just got these two hours or four hours a week of it could be like this it it just seems like harmful to to your mind state. If if you ask me, mm -hmm. I guess no, the I, yeah, I, yeah. Go ahead. I get what you mean. I, I get what you mean. It's basically like saying, um, uh, well, it's just like addiction's not good, right? Um, needing to needing you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Addiction is not good. No. Um, but yeah, and it's always just like finding new ways of justifying it to yourself. Uh, substance use is how I would describe addiction. And no, it's not good, and it's going to lead you to do bad things often. Um, not necessarily like uh, robbing someone to be able to get your fix, but just like ignoring stuff you need to do, like not paying on the bill or uh, not studying first during the exam because you're you're just spending your whole time um, smoking weed or partying or doing whatever. Uh, it, it it can definitely be harmful, and it's very it's very hard to balance in, in a healthy way. I, I agree that it's hard to balance, but uh, once again, I don't think we can like make a conclusion and go to the end with it and say, okay, then no drugs, that's the general rule, everyone should follow, that's it, let's go. Because th the parallel I thought of is like leisure time or like uh, watching a movie. I could, I could say the same thing, like would you rather be doing tedious work or studying or watching a movie and then okay i choose the reality of watching a movie and exposing yourself to watching a movie once a week is really bad because that makes you see a lot of reality where you're relaxing yeah, you're better. framing it as a as a ridiculous thing but i think you agree with me that in the way you picture your perfect you you're not sitting around watching movies you're productive then you have like you know genuine human connection you're hopping from one productive thing to another and accomplishing the most you can on this earth of course, reality is different, and you know we we are imperfect in that sense, and we give ourselves the glimpse of what could be. But wouldn't you agree that the perfect you wouldn't be sitting around watching movies, watching movies like with friends and discovering new art, which movies are that probably has a place in my perfect life too. Well, I don't know. I feel like when we get our on our you know productive streaks, we're like we should eliminate movies from our lives because it, you know right but do you regret having watched like the best movies we've ever watched do you regret having watched that do you think that was a waste of time no but i also think the 
the argument of watching them together is a pretty good good one in the sense that if I couldn't have anything to share with you on that and you hadn't watched it and I was the only one to have watched it, I wouldn't do it. Right? And maybe there is something to be said about enhancing human connection and, you know, doing drugs together. I think when people do them alone, maybe that's maybe that's the barrier we have to set. Because they give them themselves a a glimpse of what their life could be, but instead when you just want variety and human connection, maybe doing it with someone else enhances what you know about them. I'd be comfortable with that conclusion. Sure, I, I just think that you're, you know, I, I took them taking some time off watching a movie example, but it could be anything, right? Just any time you take relaxing, when you contrast it with working hard, it's just different. I, I think it's, I don't think it's, um, precise to say that oh one reality one thing is better so you choose that and you shouldn't expose yourself to that i think things are different and things bring different value to people's lives either pleasure mm -hmm. relaxation meaningful purpose which is maybe greater but you not sustainable all the time either yeah but the problem is look let's take the example of the guy who hates his job but works a lot and then comes back home and his only solace is smoking weed and watching a movie and eating something. Well, the problem with that is every night he heightens his dopamine baseline. So the, the things, the productive things that he does the next day are in the, in the spectrum of he loves something and he hates something. They're further down the spectrum of he hates something. Things are less enjoyable. And it's, it's not only that he's using a, a, a dip in happiness, let's, you know, let's just use that term liberally. And he offsets it with a peak in happiness. But he also makes his dip worse. Because, you know, if you, again, if you, in your mind, compare the the weed movie watching, and then you, you're saying to yourself, tomorrow I have to wake up and go to the job I hate, it's going to be much worse than if you, you know, went to the job, kind of saw it as your duty, duty, and then came back home and did some you know, non-dopamine-inducing things, like people used to relax in the, I don't know, 1600s, you know, call, call me a freak of nature, but, well, not like a freak of nature, but a freak that loves nature, but that's how I see it. The, the, the most Mother nature specifically. Yeah, mother nature specifically. The most genuine way to live is the kind of a similar way to the way in which our biology evolved. And our biology didn't evolve to handle these things. And these things make contrast you know, the thing on the other side of it, worse. That's how I see it. Okay, so I guess my point to the last couple of things you've been saying was that some, some, some things are just, you know, different and have a place in your life, even though, like, maybe that's, like, that leisure time is, like, better, in quotes. Less fulfilling, but better feels better. But maybe what you're saying is that specifically drugs, you know, to different degrees depending on the drug, that's a, a a way that that's too easy to to you know get out of your dips and such an unnatural way that it's not recommendable to someone to, to anyone because of the risk it causes uh, of the different perspective it gives you and of the potential for addiction yeah and you you read a book on dopamine and i'm, I'm surprised you're not quoting it more the dopamine system was set up to reward the things that advance us 
in life, right? Or in the hierarchy that make, that are profitable to us, right? You take something like, I don't know, finding a good relationship, like, oh, you found a mate for life. That's something fulfilling. That's something that triggers your dopamine system. But you take something as cheap of an investment as buying a pill and then putting it in your mouth. And the thing that you get on the other side of that is so colossal that, I mean, your, I think your, your vision of how to gain happiness is very stained by that, right? You think your work is like, oh, I have all this investment and I'm only getting, getting paid this, right? It's the investment versus returns. Your, your system makes you think that, oh, I, moving my hand towards my mouth and putting this pill in my hand gives me this pleasure. But my work give me, gives me this pleasure and it's a lot more work. Why would I want to work? That's how I see the, the kind of offset that you're giving yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just the, for, for more natural things, I don't know what, what your thing with Mother Nature is today, but I guess things brought on by Mother Nature... I'm writing my book and that's that's a big point that I have, right? It's if we were to quote Voltaire, right? One must cultivate their own garden. Like, you know, I, I can hate on gardeners all I want, but I don't think there's a and more direct hate them. Yeah, I do hate them. But imagine investing an hour in your life into something that seems as meaningless as cultivating herbs and then putting them in a salad and eating a salad that you spent perhaps the last three weeks cultivating the vegetable vegetables for that's that's kind of a genuine dopamine reward a fulfilling thing in my head yeah yeah so what i was about to say was just i guess our our dopamine system and our which is which we can't go into detail with because we don't know the the intricacies of but yeah we do well chris does he's an expert on on all things but it was it was made to self-regulate for these sort of things that aren't new concentrated synthetic and and very very effective right when when things like drugs come in our system is not ready for that and you're saying that yeah as a general rule it seems reasonable to say that it's not recommendable but the people that are informed like phil and and do you know the cycle and know exactly the effects i don't know what about phil's happy life have you thought of have you thought of phil does do drugs have a place in, in his life? That, that's a question that's directed at me <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's a good question to answer. Maybe, maybe you know, I just don't want to finish the episode with the following. Drugs are generally bad, but, you know, use them in moderation. Like, we, we've we wasted one hour and 15 minutes for a conclusion like that. No. Okay. okay. So I think the question I would ask everyone, if if Phil isn't able to answer this episode, that's good because it's it's a deeper question and it's a personal one. And his answer might not match yours. Imagine your perfect day. Imagine you are with the paired with the perfect person that you want to spend your life with. Imagine you have your dream job. Are those things attainable for you? Of course, like make them attainable in your head. Is in that life, are you consuming drugs? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. And also keep striving toward that perfect life. If no, then offsetting the fact that you haven't reached your perfect life with the spike of dopamine, I don't think it's warranted. I think you'd be better off starting a garden and uh, cultivating vegetables. What do you think, Phil? Uh, no, it's a it's a very good question. I, I honestly I don't know. Um, like 
Um, my, my first thought would be like to say, yeah, sure, I would still have weed. I don't see myself not having it. Like, um, why would I uh, not? Right. So, like, it's uh, it, it's hard to answer. Like, definitely, if if it would be the perfect life, like, well, why would I use it? But it's uh, it's hard to see because well, yeah, because but- I had. I've been using it for so long. I haven't stopped for so long. So like, yeah, I haven't seen sober life in so long. So I don't, I don't, I don't remember it that well. Um, maybe that's the issue. But and like, it, I in don't the end, also the question is, who has a perfect life, right? Who is going to attain that perfect life? I mean, if I'm mm-hmm. trying to come to that conclusion, I mean, you know, how many people can say that they will? But I think but this... I, I feel like it would still bring me pleasure, even in my perfect life, if I was still using weed. Um, now the, the the justification to that i don't have it right now but i i do feel like if i was in my perfect life i, I would still be uh smoking weed at, at least once in a while maybe not at the same frequency as i'm doing it currently um but uh, i still feel like i would at least do it once in a while like once per week or something okay and you don't think i mean you know you've chosen weed but i i guess i'd like to and I can see how, I don't know, for some reason, I can have an intuition of how that would have a place in it. But you take something as MDMA, right? And imagine, let's let's give you the most glamorous life. Let's say you're a hedonist, right? You're on yachts. You're taking private jets to visit the most fascinating people on Earth. You, you have the most fascinating conversation every time you talk to someone, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like things can still get boring, right? Like even if you are always doing like new glamorous things, always seeing a new yacht, always seeing a new like uh, private jet or whatever, always going to a new country. Um, I, I feel like there's still repetition that happens in all these events, and it'll still get boring at one point where you'll need something to en- well, not need, but it'd be interesting if there was something there to enhance it and, and make it better, right? Um, make it more uh, interesting to be in uh, in that situation and more interactive or whatever and yeah i i, I feel like it, there, there'd still be a place even if you are the the jeff bezos and you're going on a rocket to um to to be in outer space for for like five minutes i'd still think like uh, having some mdma while going up on the rocket would be fun right uh it would be a new experience <laughs> it would be something if, if medically uh, proved yeah obviously <laughs> Yeah, and that's but, a fun consideration yeah. for sure. But I, I think that, you know, the, the things that you carefully select to be part of your life until the end, right? Let's say let's say you're, you didn't have a knee problem, Alex, right? Let's say soccer was part of that, right? So, okay, you filled, let's say, two hours of your week with soccer, right? That's, is that reasonable for you? Mm-hmm. So you have all these building blocks that you are responsible upon exploring yourself to, to, to build this kind of, you know, again, it's not no, no, it's no Jeff Bezos' life, but it's it's something that can fulfill you in the long term, and you've built that. Well, you argue that those things could be, get boring, but let's say one of the pieces of the puzzle is is weed consumption. Well, h- how is it different from any other piece of the puzzle in the sense that that too will get boring? What I'm saying is, mm-hmm. I have an idealistic view of those pieces of the puzzle. They have a very high value in the sense that. You know, you've done them for a long time. Let's say Alex has played soccer for eight years. To this day, he wants to do that. And if for eight years it hasn't gotten boring, there's a good chance it won't for the next eight. That's that's my view, at least. Okay. 
but and that's kind of something I how I see the you know the, the higher value of those pieces of the puzzle. But the problem with weed, right, is well actually again the tolerance kind of acts a little bit differently from other drugs I feel. But it seems justifiable that it won't get that boring in the long term. I don't know. You're just saying I could use it to switch it up, and it's it's very hard for me to say that's not that that's not the case. But I also, mm-hmm. I also, you know, if if you did put those building blocks of your perfect life in the category of having the potential to become boring, well, I would put weed in that too. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a good point. Um, and if i bring it back to like my, my personal life like weed has gotten boring at points but um i feel like maybe it's just because it's a drug where that that, get, that brings you dopamine and pleasure where it like even if it gets boring you're you're still like you're still doing it right you're not reaching a point where it's boring you 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 want to let it go and you're just, you won't touch it anymore i i guess the dependence maybe helps not make it boring <laughs> Um, I, I mean, it's probably not a good thing, right? But like, I I think that helps it, and like, I, I haven't seen myself get bored with weed, um, sadly. <laughs> um, like, it, it's still a thing where, like, uh, at the day at, on the day, I'd be like, well, uh, yeah, I'd go for a bong or I'd go for for a joint or whatever. I don't know. It, it and at the same time, it's not something like. Smoking weed doesn't take an hour, right? It, it takes five minutes. It's hard to be bored with it. Maybe you're bored. You, you could maybe get bored with the effects of it. But with the action of it, it's hard to get bored of it, right? Because it's just five minutes. For, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I was referring to the effect, of course. Yeah. So we're probably going to have an episode two where we're all high, right? That, that just makes sense. <laughs> but, um, okay. If, if everyone feels comfortable with what they've said, we could wrap it up. I'm good. No, I think I'm good. I don't know if I, I said much that was interesting. <laughs> no, you did. You did. Absolutely. I sure. think, I think, you know, obviously we're not, you know, we're not Kant and Heidegger, but I think we can make people think and your expertise and our considerations combined can, can provide some value. So my figured it out rating. So we have this, this rating of how much did we figure out a certain topic? By the way, happiness was what a nine or something. Yeah, we figured out happiness at a nine. Then, <laughs> but damn, um, all it, right, <laughs> it was a more concrete episode. So, I you know, I had a very restricted view in the beginning, and I'd say I am more like leaning more to your side. But it's obviously, if it were on a scale, I'd still be like seventy percent on my side, obviously, but. It's it's still more than it was at the beginning of the episode, which is a pleasant thought. So I would put it at maybe a seven, just good because I think we've touched on very important points and we've attempted to answer them aptly. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think a figured it out rating is a a rating that evaluates the quality of the episode either of, or of the conversation. Just mm, to a certain degree, I disagreed with Chris, and you know. It, it feels like we figured it out less when we disagree. So I, w- I was leaning towards a six or a seven, two. I'll go, uh, I'll go six to, to play the devil's advocate. Okay, what do you think, Phil? How, how much you know, more insight on it do you have than at, at the beginning of the episode? Well, your, your perspective was definitely interesting um, and one that I hadn't thought about. And you're, you're like you're making me question my whole life now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
um no but no it, it was definitely interesting um and like um i do feel like these questions can be explored more um and we did not reach the bottom of it um i, I would, in episode I would two on shrooms of course <laughs> on shrooms now okay we're gonna have a nice cocktail i mean might as well do a mini series and try them all now <laughs> yeah that could be smart um but no i, I would i would tend towards like a five or a six because i i feel like there, there's still a lot to be explored here yeah you guys are right i'm gonna change it to six and then if we i mean i guess we can average it out and just put 5.3 or something or no 5.6 because 5.66 okay well thanks a lot phil for taking the time thank you very much yeah, no worries thanks for having me it's uh, it's been the thinking bros if if you want to know more go on thinkingbros.com or contact us at thinkingbros at gmail.com and we'll see you next week see ya